Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network. And before we get into Washington's Week 4 preview at the Dallas Cowboys, as always, this podcast is brought to you by our friends up on Line, who continue to be the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, and of course, college football and the NFL esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting to prop bets and futures bets. So head on over to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, let's get in to today's episode, a full preview offense, defense of the now 2-1 Dallas Cowboys week one. It's a loss against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers week two, an inspired game defensively for Dallas from defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, an excellent game plan against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then in week three, it took down the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. Now they head into week four at 2-1, and one, and Washington heads in at 1-2 and two following a win over the Jacksonville Jaguars in week one, loss to the Detroit Lions in Week 2, and a disgusting loss to the Philadelphia Eagles in Week 3. But Week 4 is a brand new week. Sitting here Thursday morning, just a few days away from kickoff. Brand new helmets, new unis this week, debuting the black alternates that we've been looking forward to them debuting this fall. We've heard a lot about it over the summer. The burgundy unis have looked good. The white unis have looked good. Now it's time to showcase the black ones. I know some of you out there are saying, oh, they're going to wear black because they're funeral or whatever. It's week four. And take it with a grain of salt of last week's bad loss. I know I was fired up in the podcast following the game. I'm going to try to be level-headed here as we head into a massive week four matchup where Washington cannot go in to this game into week five against the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field. 0-2 in the division and 1-3. That's a recipe for success because the Titans are a good ball club. Now, we'll stay within the lens of Dallas for now. I don't want to get too far ahead. But this is a game where I think Washington will play better. Now, I said the same thing last week heading into Philadelphia. But this is a huge game towards Washington's ceiling as a team. You cannot start 0-2 in the division. You can't. Now, let's dive into Dallas as a unit on both sides of the ball. Obviously, head coached by Mike McCarthy. Offensive coordinator Kellen Moore, defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. And of course, Jerry Jones is Mr. Everything at the top. President, GM, hot dog vendor. Jerry Jones does everything for that organization. Of course, if they're up, you're going to see him in the stands. Because when they're not a game, Dallas is up. They're showing the Jones family in the owner's box. However, let's get into the roster. Let's focus there within the hashes. Roster right now is led by Cooper Rush. Obviously, Dak Prescott is out that lower leg injury that he's been dealing with the last few weeks. Cooper Rush, college free agent in 2017. Their situation at quarterback reminds me a lot of Washington. Back in 2012, when they drafted RG3, 
second overall out of Baylor. And then they doubled down and took Kirk Cousins on day three. And there was a lot of questions as far as why was Kirk Cousins taken? You look at RG3's skill set. He was obviously the face of the franchise. You look at Kirk Cousins' very different skill sets. RG3 was, had a rocket for an arm, could create with his legs, entered the league as one of the fastest players in the league, regardless of position. That wasn't Kirk Cousins. Guy out of Michigan State that won within the ears. Red defense as well. Delivered with accuracy and on time. Didn't have a cannon for an arm. Didn't have excellent dual threat ability. This is what it kind of is with Cooper Rush and the dynamic between him and Dak Prescott. We know what Dak Prescott is. He's one of the top quarterbacks in football. Dynamic arm. Electric ability outside of the pocket. An arm that can deliver down the field 50-60 yards with accuracy and on time. And is a leader in the face of the franchise for that football team. Other than Micah Parsons right now. Cooper Rush... You ask anybody in Dallas, any media members down there, they probably don't want to try to, and, and you know, it start up a, a fuse, a, a quarterback controversy. But when you're winning games like Cooper Rush has, 3-0 in the starts he's made dating back to last year, you need guys in the football field that consistently win games. And Dallas didn't look good in that week one matchup against Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay's shown their struggles early on. They lost to Green Bay last week. Did not look good. Cooper Rush is someone that wins within the ears, understands Kellen Moore's offense to a T. He's been with Dallas for a long time. He's been there almost a handful of years. He's not as dynamic as Dak Prescott is in any facet, but he understands how to operate an offense and he takes care of the football. He's not going to go out there and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Heck, he's not going to throw for 303 touchdowns. But he's someone that will deliver the ball on time to their outside weapons. Guys like CeeDee Lamb, Noah Brown, We'll see what happens with Michael Gallup this week. He's expected to be back soon, if he's not back here in week four. Jalen Tolbert's rookie they drafted this fall, this spring out of South Alabama. Third rounder. Semi Fahoku. Kevontae Turpin is a guy they took out of the USFL. He uses primarily as a gadget guy or kick returner, punt returner. And then tight end, Dalton Schultz. He's dealt with some injuries. Still dealing with some injuries. But Cooper Rush is someone that can lead this offense and just keep them in football games because their defense right now is, their front seven looks, I'm not going to say dominant, but looks like one of the best in the league. Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence are flying around that front seven. But it starts with Cooper Rush. And ways to disrupt him, as with any quarterback, is to get bodies in his face, create chaos around his feet. He's not somebody that's going to create outside of structure with his legs. He's not. That's not him. He is someone that wants to sit inside the tackles and deliver with 70 to 75% accuracy throughout his 25 attempts a game. That's the way that Dallas wins with him under center. They want to get the run game going. Look at their running backs. Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard. It's a two-man show. Ezekiel Elliott's run the ball well these last few weeks. Tony Pollard has looked good. He's a guy that we've talked about a long time as far as that needs more touches down there. Ezekiel Elliott is... It's one of those situations you look back even to high school or daddy ball. It's when your guys are playing and they shouldn't be playing. But because they got so much money tied up in Elliott, millions and millions and millions of dollars tied up in him over the next few years, he's not producing and his production has gone down every single year since his rookie year. And then our offensive line has gotten worse as well. He hasn't been as good. But Tony Pollard's been electric when given the opportunities. I'm not going to say Cooper Rush has been electric, 
but you're winning football games and you're two and one right now. You're putting yourself in a position to compete for a division title down the road if Dak were to miss more time. And watching Cooper Rush and seeing how he's win, how he's won, dissecting the 10 to 15 yard area of the defense, taking what's given to him, not trying to play hero ball, that's a recipe for success in the NFL. Again, very similar to how Kirk Cousins won when he in spurts came in for RG3 almost a decade ago. Remember that Ravens game when he came in and led Washington back to a victory? Dinking and dunking here and there, being a, quote, game manager. I know that term has been thrown around a lot in Washington. Alex Smith was a game manager. Kirk Cousins was a game manager. Case Keenum, Taylor Heineke, all those guys were classified as game managers. That's what Cooper Rush is. And he's someone that Washington secondary, we'll get into it in a little bit, isn't prepared and isn't able to cover on the outside like they were against Philadelphia, like they were against Jacksonville, like they were against Detroit. CeeDee Lamb's going to go off. No Brown's going to go off. And they're going to get their run game going. Before you know it, you're down 20-plus at the half and you haven't scored again. It's a week where Washington has to get right. This is a get-right game. Now, usually when you classify a get-right game, it's usually against someone that is not a great football team. I think Dallas right now is a better football team than Washington. I hate saying that with every fiber in my body. Ladies and gentlemen, I hate saying that. I don't want to say anything positive about Dallas. However, I have to keep my Washington biases as much to the side. I am with the Draft Network as a national media entity. And be honest with you guys. I have to. And right now, Dallas is playing better football than Washington. So offensive line will move there after the running backs. You got Tyler Smith, Tyler Biadash, Zach Martin, Terrence Steele. And Jason Peters is that flex kind of left tackle, left guard, along with Matt Farniak, who they drafted in 2021 as a seventh rounder. Tyler Smith at left guard was the plan to start the year. Tyron Smith, that nasty injury that he had, he's out till December or later. Tyler Smith was a guy that generated a lot of buzz late in the spring. Someone that was uber physical at Tulsa, throwing people around. But he had technical deficiencies that didn't allow him, as from a projectability standpoint, to come into the NFL right away and start at left tackle. So the plan was for him to start at guard, where he had Tyron Smith to his left shoulder, and he had Tyler Biadash to his right shoulder. Two veterans in the league. Obviously now, because of injury, he's been forced to left tackle, and he's looked good. Has he looked outstanding? Absolutely not. Has he taken his bumps? 100%. But has he looked terrible? No. He looked good through three weeks. And he may be facing, like, he'll be facing Montez Sweat this week. We'll see what happens with injuries with William Bradley King and James Smith-Williams. Are they going to be healthy? Casey Tuhill, we'll see. Shaka Tony. He should be jumping around outside the left tackle, outside the right tackle. But this Cowboys offensive line isn't what it used to be years ago. Zach Martin is still there. You know what you're going to get from him. He's a top five offensive lineman from any, any position. That's who Zach Martin is. Lyle Collins is now in Cincinnati at right tackle. Tyron Smith is obviously hurt. And Terrence Steele's at right tackle. He's a below average tackle. Jason Peters is almost 50 years old. And he's playing a little left guard. Could pop out left tackle if you need to. Played well with the Bears last year in spurts. He did. But this is not the same offensive line from years ago. 
So Washington, Theron Payne, John Allen, again, I feel like they're they're always key guys in the interior because teams, they like to build from the inside out, but when you have teams like this to where you got a rookie at left tackle, Tyler Biadash at center is not going to move the needle for anybody at the center spot. Right guard, Zach Martin, well, again, you know what you're going to get from him, just like I said. He will stymie Allen. He will stymie Payne. Whoever comes in from a rotational standpoint, we'll see if Daniel Wise is healthy this week. Matt Farniok, if he gets some reps at left guard, that is a matchup I like John Allen and Payne to win. I like Washington's front four over a lot of these front fives in football. But they have to consistently be able to put pressure on the quarterback and clog gaps in the run. I really like what I saw from Jerron Payne so far this year. He's obviously playing for some money, and you can see it. Playing his butt off. And I want to tip my cap to 94 because I've been harsh on Deron Payne in recent podcasts and months ago when they tried to trade him for the last few years. For Stafford two years ago, excuse me, last year, and then Russell Wilson this year. He's been thrown around in trade talks. He's someone that is playing inspired football to whether his future is in D.C. or not. 94 has been all over the field through these first three weeks. That's a tip of the cap to him because we also know what we know we're going to get from a guy like John Allen. So that's their offense. Again, left tackle to right tackle. It's going to be Tyler Smith. A little bit of Farniok and Peters, Tyler Biedosh, Zach Martin at right guard, and Terrence Seal at right tackle with Cooper Rush at quarterback, Ezekiel Elliott at running back, along with Tony Pollard, C.D. Lamb on the outside, who is their wide receiver one, Noah Brown, the guy that stood out in training camp, they think he's the next Michael Irvin, made a few catches, you hear Dallas media talk about Noah Brown like he's Terry McLaurin or Devontae Adams or Stephon Diggs. Pump the brakes on that for now. Quante Turpin, gadget guy. Jalen Tolbert, someone that they want to work out of the slot, was inactive in week one. And then Semi Fahoku is a guy that took out of Stanford <clears throat> in 2021 in the fifth round. But this wide receiver room doesn't move the needle for me. It doesn't, doesn't scare me in any fast as far as taking over a football game. Um, and I think Washington Corners should be fine. I really say that softly because I don't know what to expect from Washington's corners, but the loss of Amari Cooper, who's now in Cleveland, moves CeeDee Lamb into this wide receiver one role that I don't think he's ready for just yet. He looked good on Monday Night Football against the Giants secondary and really a back seven that's really weak. Giants are strong within their front four. Um, but CeeDee Lamb by no means is the Amari Cooper yet for that Dallas offense. He's not holstering 15, almost 20 targets sometimes each week. Um, has the route running ability of Amari Cooper. He's uber talented. I think he has all the talent in the world. Saw that one-handed catch in the end zone in that game against the Giants on Monday night. He's got all the talent in the world to become a dynamic receiver, but it's much different when you're the wide receiver too and you're facing corners, you know, CB2 and CB3 of opposing teams instead of getting the attention of the CB1 and the safeties that may bracket or W each and every week. That's why there's some conversations we've had him in our meetings at TDN as far as who would you rather have playing hypotheticals with Terry McLaurin and C.D. Lamb? Obviously, I'd rather have Terry McLaurin every single day of the week comparing what he's done with the Pumpkins at quarterback over these last years since he's been in the league compared to C.D. Lamb working behind Amari Cooper and the run game that they've had with Ezekiel Elliott behind the offensive line. And then you have Dak Prescott throwing you the ball. Much different dynamic there when you, have, when you compare Terry and C.D. However, don't want to get off the rails too much. Start comparing those two. I think I'll take 17 every day of the week over C.D. Lamb right now. But this receiver's room is not, it's not going to scare anybody. 
CeeDee Lamb is a good talent. Do I think Kendall Fuller, William Jackson, and Benjamin St. Juice could hold his lunch all day long? I do not. I think Benjamin St. Juice gives us the best option on the outside to cover him right now. I really liked what I saw from him because Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown were a great test last week, and he showcased really well. I'm throwing the touchdown against A.J. Brown out the window. It's a goal line slant, and he's got a big body. I don't think there's a corner in the league that can match up physically than with A.J. Brown. Maybe maybe Jalen Ramsey, maybe Tariq Woolen in Seattle. That's it. Benjamin St. Juice is 6'3". Long arms, physical, aggressive, likes to make plays on the ball, not afraid to stick his face in the mud. And A.J. Brown carried him in the end zone on that slant. But for this week, I like St. Juice against Lamb. I like St. Juice against Noah Brown. I don't know if William Jackson is going to be healthy. I, don't, I think we know what we're going to get from Kendall Fuller. I'm not going to make every week a spiel about Kendall Fuller and how I want to expect more from him. He is not a good corner right now. Do I go into every single week hoping number 29 will prove me wrong, whether he's lined up on the outside or he gets some reps in the nickel and they want to align Jackson and St. Juice on the outside because of what happened last week and what Benjamin showcased? We'll see. I would like to see some changes on the defensive side of the ball for Washington. They have to make changes. Because right now, it's back-to-back weeks where you're coming off of where you've allowed 20-plus in the first half and you haven't scored anything. Defensively, they have to get after Cooper Rush. They have to limit the passing game because Kellen Moore, we know, likes to open up the play action, hit those intermediate routes, and then take some deep shots downfield. Two guys like Noah Brown. Two guys like CeeDee Lamb. I don't want to see Kendall Fuller's number 29 jersey consistently, again, on tape, running after receivers three yards behind him downfield like we did against Philadelphia. I'm tired of seeing that. Tired of seeing it. So let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball for Dallas and their front four. Um, I am concerned about Washington's front five considering the last two weeks. Aiden Hutchinson had three sacks in that first half against Detroit, and then obviously Philly had nine sacks. I feel like I'm Ed Peterson and uh, Ferris Bueller. Nine times. Ferris Bueller, I'm sure you guys are all familiar with that movie. Nine times Carson Wentz was sacked against the Eagles. That has to improve. You will not win any football games down 20 at the half and allowing nine sacks a game. Not going to happen. Not in this NFL. Maybe in Madden. On rookie mode. Maybe. But it won't happen in the NFL. It's hard to win games in the NFL when you're consistently shooting yourself in the foot, like Washington has. You won't win a lot of football games. Got to take care of your asset under center. I think we'll be healthy up front. I know Leno and Schweitzer did not practice on Wednesday. We'll see who lines up in the front five. We'll see. Heck, we might even see rookie Chris Paul get some snaps this week. I don't know. We saw Cornelius Lucas. Get 11 snaps last week against Philadelphia. We'll see who's on the front five. But I'll tell you one thing is that Sam Cosby has to improve at right tackle. And Charles Leno better improve at left tackle because you got Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence rushing off the edge. Good luck. Because if we get the same performance that we did last week, good luck. It's going to be another long day. And there might be another game we get nine sacks from Parsons alone. Alone. Could be bad. Quickly. Micah Parsons is one of the most talented defensive players in the league. And one of the most talented defensive players to enter the league in a while. 
I kind of pumped the brakes last year on Micah Parsons as far as who he was. He was getting comparisons to Lawrence Taylor a few games into his career. we got to pump the brakes on that right now, still. No one was like LT. But what Micah Parsons has been able to do and how he affects the game, not just as a five-tech pass rusher, but we saw last year when he was a linebacker and working out in coverage. He turned on his tape against the Giants, and he's buzzing out covering Kenny Galladay on a slot fade 25 yards downfield. Not many linebackers can do that from a tight alignment. He can. Then he put his his hands in the dirt, and he can bend the arc, run inside, get outside, bull rush you five yards back right into the quarterback's lap, and then chase you down. That's Micah Parsons. So I expect a lot of Logan Thomas, John Bates, on that side of the formation, wherever Micah aligns, will get some motion to his side. I expect Dan Quinn, a very creative defensive coordinator, to move him around a lot, whether he aligns even in the interior at some one-tech and three-tech, just to offer some unique looks if they want to run some different stunts along the interior. Micah Parsons plays all over the place. And then you've got to Marcus Lawrence, who usually aligns outside the left tackle. Number 11 in Parsons can completely wreck a game plan. If Washington doesn't prepare for it, it's going to be a long day from the offensive side of the ball. They have to run the ball also with effectiveness this week. The best way to limit a pass rush is to have a good running game. You have your bodies in Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. Those are two backs that I could lean on every day of the week. Antonio Gibson's looked fine through three weeks. Has he been a world beater? No. Has J.D. McKissick been a world beater? No. I would like to see more from J.D., especially in the passing game. But you have to get the running game and tack the interior where there's Quinn Bohanna and Osa Adigizua, who they drafted at UCLA in 2021. And then the rotational guys like Tristan Hill and Neville Gallimore. Guys that they've spent some high capital on. Hill was a second rounder in 2019. Gallimore was a third rounder in 2020 out of Oklahoma. Got some rotational depth there. But you have to intact the interior where you got guys like Andrew Norwell and Wes Schweitzer at center and Trey Turner at right guard. That is a group that has to improve as well this week, especially at center with Schweitzer and making the calls. Roulier made the calls these last few weeks and, in, and obviously in training camp. That's something that we saw come to fruition in those first two weeks when Washington's offense looked really good. And then in week three against Philadelphia, it really fell apart from a communication standpoint, both to Schweitzer's left and right. That has to get fixed. That has to improve. I'm not expecting it to be perfect. Schweitzer isn't Chase Roulier. He's not. But from a communication standpoint, that thing, that has to get figured out and iron out the wrinkles up front because Norwell is new. Schweitzer at center has never played with Norwell to his left side. Never played with Trey Turner to his right side. Trey Turner has never played with Sam Cosme to his right side and vice versa. You have to have that rapport and chemistry along the front five to gel as a unit and really come together like they looked like in week one and week two. There, there were lapses in, in week two against the Lions, obviously three sacks in the first half. The second half, they were much better. They made some adjustments. But now as you lose bodies, that rapport is harder to wrangle in. It's harder to do. So this will be a nice test this week, both for the tackles and on the inside, they like to do some different things, blitzing as well. They signed Anthony Barr as a late offseason addition, obviously a, a longtime Minnesota Viking in the middle. They have Leighton Van Der Esch, a first-rounder out of Boise State back in 2018. But as a whole, this Cowboys defense is, they win or lose 
by the impact that Parsons and Lawrence have. Leighton Van Der Esch is very similar to how Cole Holcomb plays. I would take Jamin Davis right now over the skill set of Anthony Barr, of someone got, a guy that's kind of on the tail end of his career, someone that's played well in three weeks, but just comparatively for Washington and Dallas. Cole Holcomb is very similar to Van Der Esch, and Barr is similar to Davis, and Davis is a really good athlete, and I, I like what I've seen from Jamin through three weeks. But it starts with Parsons and Lawrence, and Washington's tackles have to be better this week or it's going to be a long day. On the back end, Mike, uh, Anthony Brown, Donovan Wilson, Malik Hooker, Trayvon Diggs, and Jordan Lewis is their starting nickel. They are weak in the secondary. Dallas has failed to add any corners recently in the draft. They obviously think Trayvon Diggs is the next coming of Deion Sanders because he has a ton of ball production last year. We saw him with the most interceptions in the league since 1970. But he allowed the most yards in coverage as the primary coverage man. He's a turnstile on the outside. Trayvon Diggs is a turnstile on the outside. But the name of the game is getting the ball back for your offense. And if you have guys on the outside that can make plays, obviously Trayvon, same with his brother Stefan, were local guys in the DMV area. Obviously Stefan went to good counsel, and Trayvon went to the Avalon School after transferring from Wooten. Trayvon's a good player, but, I mean, we saw last year Terry McLaurin, what he's able to do against, against Trayvon Diggs. And Anthony Brown is a decent corner. Um, it's just a body on the outside, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, Malik Hooker is someone out of Ohio State that was expected to have a big-time NFL career. He hasn't really come into his own just yet. Maybe it's down the road, but he's running out of time. He's been in the league a while. And then Jordan Lewis is their nickel corner third rounder in 2017. He's just a, an average corner. But again, as I always say, these guys are in the NFL for a reason, and Dallas' defense has played inspired football. Didn't look great against Tampa Bay, but they held Cincinnati, and they held the Giants, who are expected to have a, a, a better receiving core. Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney. They drafted Wandale Robinson. They have Darius Slayton, who doesn't even play for their offense anymore. I mean, they rolled out guys like David Sills and Richie James in that Monday night game the Giants did. Washington has a better receiving core than the Giants and one of the better receiving cores in football. They've proven to be that through three weeks. I like Samuel against Jordan Lewis. I like Jahan Dotson against Anthony Brown. I like Terry McLaurin over Trayvon Diggs every day of the week. And then you look at the tight ends room, Logan Thomas against guys like Leighton Van Der Esch and Anthony Barr. I like that matchup. Washington matches up fine with a lot of teams on paper. But paper doesn't mean crap. It matters when you're lying man-to-man, nose-to-nose, on Sunday at 1 o'clock. That's what matters in between the hashes. And the product right now from Washington, from an effort, from a preparedness standpoint, is not there. So hopefully, moving into week four, it's better. It has to be better. It has to be better if Washington does not want to go into week five. Crazy to think we're almost moving into week five already. 1-3 1-3 and three and 0-2 oh and in the division. That cannot happen. Because we know how quickly this city turns to hearing, we want to see Taylor Heineke. We want to see Sam Howell. Ron Rivera needs to go. Jack Del Rio needs to go. Scott Turner needs to go. Pump the brakes. It is week four. This is a huge week. But every week provides more of a clearing off the window just a little bit into who the commanders will be this fall. 
And it starts this week. Why not go down to Dallas and spoil their party? Everyone's high on Cooper Rush. Ezekiel Elliott's look good. Micah Parsons is the best thing since sliced bread. Why not go down there and get a big victory on the road, in the division? Get yourself back to 500. This is a huge week for Washington, and I'm really intrigued to see how they come out within the first 15 minutes of the game. So that's going to do it for this podcast. I really appreciate you guys tuning in as always. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. You can follow me on Twitter, underscore Ryan Fowler. All my work is housed at thedraftnetwork.com. I know a lot of you guys check out the website for our written content and our mocked draft machine. That will be as having a brand new facelift. It's being uprooted from the ground. It's going to look sparkling new here in the coming weeks. We're going to have a brand new rollout of that on our website. That is our mock draft machine here in the next couple of weeks. I'll keep you updated with that. But as always, appreciate you guys tuning in. I will talk to you early Monday afternoon recap of Washington and Dallas. I'd like to speak to you guys at 2-2 two and two and 1-1 one and one in the division. Positive vibes heading into Sunday. Always positive vibes, no matter what, for the burgundy and gold. I expect them to play better this week on both sides of the ball, as should you guys. Carson Wentz, Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Jamin Davis. I would like to see Montez Sweat play a lot better on the edge, get some sacks, get him going. Hopefully the secondary plays better. I have no expectations for the secondary right now because they haven't proven anything to me just yet outside of Benjamin St. Just. We will see what happens week four in Dallas. I'll talk to you guys on Monday morning. I am Ryan Fowler from the Draft Network, and this is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.